So how many of you have done work in genealogy, have looked into your family tree and tried to answer questions about your ancestors? And doing it, yeah? Multiple, multiple, multiple families. Multiple, multiple, multiple families, yes. And this is something that I've seen more and more people doing. Uh, actually, Emily's grandfather, my grandfather-in-law, I guess, he's done a lot of uh, extensive research into the family. And there are all these websites that help you do that now. Ancestry.com is one of them. And now they're also coupled with uh, other things, like uh, you can send in your DNA information. And in addition to finding out who your great-great-great-grandmother was, you can also find out you know, what percentage uh, of your ancestry hails from the Mediterranean area or something like that. Um, and these sites have been growing in popularity, and this is a lot of people find fulfillment and uh, interest in this practice of looking into our genealogies. Uh, and I think one of the reasons why and why we do this is because we want to learn more about our past and where we came from in order to make more sense about who we are now, and our present, and our place in the world. So you find out about all the, the, why we have the struggles that we have, why we're good at some things and not good at others, and then looking back, you find out, wow, you know, my great-great-grandmother was an opera singer, and I always liked to sing, and isn't that kind of interesting? Or uh, my great-great-uncle, he struggled with alcoholism, and I know my parents did as well. And you're able to piece together the good, the bad, the ugly of your life by making sense of the past. And we do all this because we want to know, in short, what our place is in the world. How to make sense of our place in the world. Uh, Ancestry.com has a uh, section of their website that's for forums where anybody can post anything. And one of the sections, they have sort of their testimonials where people share their success stories. Uh, and it was kind of fun browsing with some of the stories people had to share. Uh, one of them, there's a woman named Cindy, and she shares that uh, through her work looking into her genealogy, she was able to find her birth father. She was uh, adopted at the age of three, and she never met her father for over the course of over 35 years, and she was able to reconnect with the part of her family that she had previously lost. Uh, and so she found that connection, found a place to belong that she didn't know she belonged. Uh, there was another story that stood out to me where a high school history teacher in uh, Portland, Oregon, made an assignment for all of the students. And their assignment was to go onto Ancestry.com, do research, and find one family member and do a research project about that family member, how they lived, what their life was like, who they were. And one of the students found that they were related to someone named Gus Waterford. Gus Waterford, it turns out, was the first black firefighter of Portland, Oregon. And no one knew about this. There were no uh, ceremonies and there were no plaques in the fire hall for Gus Waterford. No one knew about it. But by digging in deep, they found that he was the first black firefighter of Portland, Oregon. Unfortunately, Gus Waterford had died, and when he died, he was so poor, his family couldn't afford a proper tombstone, and so he was buried in an unmarked grave, completely forgotten by history. But this person, this student, through this assignment, 
discovered something about their past, something about their present by that way, uh, about someone who had overcome adversity, someone who had um, transcended racial barriers and had accomplished something, was a real trailblazer. And so since then, now there is a plaque in the fire hall in Portland, Oregon, and every year the firefighters pay tribute and acknowledge the way that he paved the way for more diversity in that, uh, in that fire uh, company. Um, and so through that, these students were able to find out a little bit more about their place in the world, be a little bit more inspired. The woman at the well, she has her history her family history, where she came from, her own personal history, and through that, she has determined what her place is in the world. And that place is pretty low, almost rock bottom. The woman at the well was a woman in the first century. That meant that she was treated as a second-class citizen. That meant that she was treated as property more than a person to be transferred over from father to husband, and if that husband died or divorced her to a different husband or back to a brother or a father, and on and on and on, and she couldn't provide for herself in a safe way without the protection of a man. On top of all of that, she was also a Samaritan. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, you have to put good in front of it because everybody assumed that they were bad. The Samaritans and the Jews, our uh, text says, they did not like to share things in common. They did not share things in common, which is a very polite and extremely understated way of saying that they hated each other's guts. And they hated each other's guts for hundreds of years. Jews and Samaritans worshipped the same God, but they worshipped God in different ways, in different places. They had different ancestry, and so all of that got conflated together. So it was not only that you worship the wrong type of way, but it became you are the wrong type of person. You are bad. This is a moral judgment now. And for hundreds of years, that hatred and that animosity bubbled and boiled over. To the point where now Jesus, in the first century, comes, this Jewish rabbi, comes to a Samaritan woman hanging out by a well. And Jesus disorients the world by even speaking to her. She's aghast when Jesus asks her for a cup of water. She says, how can you, a Jew, a Jewish rabbi, ask of me, a Samaritan, a favor? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know my place in the world? But Jesus keeps pressing on, and then in typical Jesus fashion, he takes a very mundane, ordinary, day-to-day -day thing, and he adds on spiritual and God meaning to it all. So not only are we talking about water that quenches our thirst, but then Jesus speaks of how he is offering living water that will quench every thirst, and you'll never be thirsty again, and that it will form a well inside of you, bubbling up to eternal life. And the woman at the well is listening to Jesus, and kind of sounds like she's not totally sold on Jesus. Maybe he's a little bit of an oddball, but she certainly doesn't expect Jesus to be anything more than the human being, Jewish rabbi that he is. But then Jesus says something that changes her mind. He looks at her, and he says the truth about her, the painful truth about her. He says, I know, I know you. 
I know that you have had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. And that, for some reason, touches her heart, and it makes her believe. At that point, she confesses, I see that you are a prophet. And when she shares the news with others back in her town, she wonders, could he be the Messiah? And then when they all gather to Jesus, when she brings them back to Jesus, they all confess together that he is the Savior. And it all starts from Jesus naming her pain, seeing her when she realizes that she knows him, she knows her inside and out, good, bad, and ugly. And unfortunately, we have made a lot of assumptions about the moral character of this woman at the well. The common interpretation for why she has had five husbands is that she is uh, a sinner of some sort. Usually, uh, she is accused of being a serial adulterer, and that's why she's been gone through so many different spouses. And what you find, though, is in the text, it doesn't say any of that. And in fact, Jesus doesn't condemn her for any sin. If he knows her inside and out and everything she's done, he certainly would have said something, as he's done for plenty of other people. But instead, Jesus sees her pain, he acknowledges it. He says it. We don't actually know why she's had five husbands. Maybe she's been divorced five times. And at the time, and we see this in other parts of uh, other Gospels, that, Jesus, uh, that there was a debate going around in Jesus' time about whether or not a man could divorce his wife for any reason, because only men could initiate divorces back then. And it could be for something as simple as you don't like the way she cooks anymore, you think that you could do better than the wife that you have now, and so you can leave her high and dry, completely vulnerable, left to the wolves, because of a whim of your husband. And what if that's the reason why she's been left five times? Why she's been divorced five times? That would be incredibly tragic. Five times to have to go through fending for yourself and trying to make a way for yourself. It could be simpler than that. Maybe she was just widowed five times. And five times she had to mourn the death of her spouse. Five times she had to go through the process of that grief and of trying to find her way in the world again. We don't know why she's had five spouses, why she's had five husbands. But we, she knows that it's painful, that it's tragic, no matter what it was. And it's when Jesus acknowledges that, that's when she believes. She goes back into town and she says, come and see. Come and see someone who told me everything I've ever done. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had this disorienting revelation and suddenly came to know fully and hits you like a ton of bricks that God knows every single thing about me, inside and out, good, bad, and ugly, I don't know if my first response would be joyfully sharing the good news. That means that God knows every fear that I've kept deep in my heart. God knows that thing that I've done or that thing that I failed to do that fills me with deep shame and I would never tell a soul. And knows that God knows about our secret addictions. That means that God knows about that hope that you've had, that you've put so much energy in, that you've uh, hoped for and dreamed for, you put your passion into, 
They came to nothing. God knows all of that. Jesus knows everything about you. Everything you've ever done. Everything that's ever been done to you. Everything you've ever not done. Not been able to do. And that fills the woman at the well with joy. And she shares the good news. Why? Maybe it's because there is good news knowing that we can bring our full selves to God. All of our vulnerabilities, all of our fears, all of our sins, all of our worries, and we can take them to God, and God will hear them and respond to them. That when the woman is a well, when it's revealed the pain that she's been through, Jesus sees it, acknowledges it. And he doesn't push her away. He doesn't find a sin to condemn her. But instead, he offers living water, his very presence. He offers to quench every thirst that she's had, every need that she's ever had. And that's the good news. That God knows us inside and out, good, bad, and ugly. And God still gives us living water. God still forgives us. God still frees us. God still loves us. You have been seen and known by Christ. Inside and out, good, bad, and ugly. Every hope and every fear. Every joy and every sorrow. Every pride and every shame. Every success and every failure. You are seen. You are known. And you are loved. Share this good news. Come and see the one who knows everything I've ever done, who has saved me, who has loved me. Amen.